right, welcome back, Seahawks fans, to another episode of the Seahawks Nest Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Sano, joined, as always, by the Triple H to my Sean Michaels. It's Kevin Garber. Kevin, how you doing? I'm playing the game. Yeah, in our very own X-Pac. Wait, that's right, just like X-Pac, uh, he is invisible today. <laughs> he, he is out for meth? Wait, no, you said X-Pac. No, no, uh, X, X-Pac's off the drugs now. I went and saw, okay, this is going to be funny. I went and saw a wrestling show, Xbox wrestled at it, and he was, like, way better than I expected. I was like, I expected him to be just, like, a busted up old man, and I was like, no, the drugs kept him pretty fresh. You're like, oh, it's the one, two, three kid. Yeah, he was, he was pretty decent. He did the wheel, spinning wheel kick, and, like, looked pretty good, because I've seen some old wrestlers at local wrestling shows, and they can be pretty bad. Like, they can, you can be like, oh, oh, no. Or some of them who wrestle a lot of hardcore matches, and yeah. they're like, you can barely get in the ring anymore. Yeah, Tommy Dreamer, you you can't really move anymore but uh but yeah so eric's not here he uh we had to move the taping date due to uh unforeseen uh, f- well foreseen circumstances but it's just too it was t- too difficult too it was easier to move to wednesday yep and also this put us closer to game time which i'm very excited about so let's first the let's... ghost of eric ronnebeck joins the ghost of brett oh no they're having a ghost and together they're in the bowery they're having a ghost off um so big uh big seahawk stories this week first uh, our favorite seahawk luke wilson is back um Spatula we hands. almost talked about it on last week's podcast i had written a joke down luke wilson returns how mad will kevin be and then just didn't use it <laughs> and then and then now it, it was it was actually like became reality it's like uh, we willed it into existence wilson did into existence uh, uh, it willed it because there's two l's in that wilson okay dude dude um let's just i'll just say my piece about this real quick uh wilson's a better pass catcher than nick vanette a worse blocker and honestly on pure talent level overall probably totally a wash or maybe very slightly better so guess what we traded nothing and got a fifth round pick because i going from and i'm I'm, honestly the way that the team acted when wilson came back the like team spirit camaraderie thing uh vanette wasn't really getting hitting on those notes so maybe it's all worth it in the end you know what i mean maybe this is just like the correct move from a like team building uh you know p carroll loves that kind of stuff he said that luke wilson's on his all-time team uh <laughs> kevin, the face kevin made when i said that you know luke, if you go we guys we got to pivot to video just for uh, that, that face that kevin made right there p carroll closet disco enthusiast um, yeah, he loves Techno Thursday so much. Confirmed. Uh, so, just putting this out there, uh, Seahawks Reddit and Seahawks Twitter, Luke Wilson, bad blocker. Yeah, not... Just bad. Like, like firmly below average in literally every season that he's played football. But we have plenty so of good blocking you, tight ends. I know, but, like, you go on there and... If you tell someone on Seahawks I mean, Twitter or Seahawks Reddit that Luke Wilson's bad at blocking, they're like, why did you kill my puppy? And it's like, well, because your puppy was wrong and shouldn't have existed in the first place because that's a terrible opinion. Yeah, I mean, Luke Wilson has never had a run block grade. Uh, he had one season where he got a 73, and everything else is like average or below average, he's which is fine. consistently in the he's, upper he's, 50s, low 60s. He's consistently a below average blocker. Yeah, like, congratulations. He blocks like Jermaine Effetti. If you think Jermaine Effetti's a good blocker, I guess you think Luke Wilson's a good blocker. Yeah, he's the tight end version of Jermaine Effetti, though, so watch out. Uh, he has a rice owl and a Canadian, though, so let's uh, let's give him some credit. Uh, and he has great hair. How do you end up in and, rice in and, Texas if you're a Canadian? Though? And he has no calves. 
No, Dude, none. That, 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 he, he has the highest ankle. If you ever got a high ankle sprain, best, that's his whole lower leg. The best part about that video from Hard Knocks where they said he has small calves <laughs> was the fact when they panned down to his calves, he was wearing like pants to cover up his calves. <laughs> like, you know, he's actually self-conscious <laughs> he about his ashamed. calves. But uh, yeah, look, Luke Wilson's back and it's cool. Seems like two teams really excited about it. He's out there. He out there caught a couple balls. Um, and I thought, you know what? Looking pretty good. I'm I'm fairly happy with him as like a he's uh, he's better than Hollister, I think. If I'm being honest, I think Jacob Hollister is like a even worse blocker and probably not a better pass catcher at this point in his career. So getting Luke Wilson back is like getting Jacob a better Jacob Hollister, which is who we would have to call up in practice squad. Super into it. Very, very good move by the Seahawks front office. And, um, you know, even though I think like we've t- given Luke Wilson our fair share of stick here, if as a 20 snaps a game pass catching tight end, that is a good role for him to be in. I fully agree. The when one drop our feature tight end. The and, one drop every two games that he has is going to really frustrate me now because because his his job is just to catch passes. But also, whenever the announcing crew refers to him as our blocking tight end, that's just going to that's going to hurt me in the soul every yeah. time. Disley Disley's the blocking tight end. Uh, Fant is the really blocking tight end, and uh, Luke Wilson is the the pass catcher. And then when Dixon comes back, do you think that they they squeeze another part of the roster here or like a wide receiver like Malik Turner gets cut or would you would you expect like Wilson to be the guy on the chopping block? I think it's going to depend on what the composition of the offense looks like. Uh, right now, I think there's a lot of mouths to feed in that wide receiver room, so I could see us making a move where uh, receiver's the one to go because you, like JB had himself a game. Yeah, uh, JB finally, is still getting finally all of his got targets. The, JB finally got in the game. We'll talk about that in a minute. Um, David Moore is looking healthier. He can actually yeah. go out and do David Moore stuff. I think Malik Turner's got the edge on G- Gary Jennings, mostly because did you see that Malik Turner dance off video with Brandon Jackson? <laughs> uh, Malik Turner got the moves, dude. He's the probably the best dancer on the team. I mean, also Brandon Jackson wasn't really doing a whole lot so no that, but but malik by was extension like, he was bringing malik turner it. was dancing for his job yeah he was like i gotta dance good here otherwise i might get cut Where's i heard i heard that disco tuesday gary jennings gary more- jennings tried to get in and russell wilson was like no sit down <laughs> <laughs> no no you don't don't do this uh okay don't embarrass don't embarrass yourself kid he was trying to get in but he accidentally blocked somebody in the back on the way Oh no, no! It's a Seahawks preseason joke. Yeah, the the blocks in the backs by the wide receivers has been really bad in the in the season too. It has been chronic. Like, Jared Brown had a couple. Has had a couple also. Um, okay. Renowned uh, run blocking wide receiver Jaron Brown. More Seahawks news. Richard Sherman tweeted that uh, he's like still helping Shaquille Griffin, still working with him. And I just want to say, I know it's really hard to watch Richard Sherman in a San Francisco 49ers uniform. It sucks, but he's still playing good football. And the fact that he's still maintaining a relationship with our dudes, um, I'm, I think personally, I can't wait to see Richard Sherman in the ring of honor. Kevin, are you on that boat or are you one of those guys that's like, he burned those bridges on the way out and we should never put him in. Where do you stand on? Cause that's kind of the debate, right? People, people kind of fall on two sides of this. Like Richard Sherman, like burned every bridge, made every made us look stupid. And now we shouldn't honor him when he retires. And I'm on the other side, which is that. You know, he seems to still be maintaining relationships with some of our dudes. And yes, it sucked the way he left, but he wanted to get paid what he deserved. And so I would love it if we could like week one of the season after he retires, just immediately do it. Mm -hmm. No questions asked. Yeah. I mean, as a long suffering Seattle sports fan, I can forgive a lot if you're somebody who helped bring personality and style and a championship to a football team that I love watching. So, so one thing I want is I want Cam, Earl, and 
Richard to all go into the Ring of Honor at the same time. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, we should uh, do the whole LOB. Yeah, and I think that would be like super cool. It'd be a great moment for all three of those guys. It'd be a good chance for us to show them the the kind of love and respect they deserve. Although I'm like 99% sure Earl's going to get a huge cheer when he comes back um, for the home game against Baltimore, at least at the beginning of the game. <laughs> I would think. Um, I would. I'm. I. I just kind of have a gut feeling on that. It'd be kind of sad to make Cam wait that long, but. But I mean. I mean, the other option stems, is... Stems the breaks. Like, that's what happened. But you know? I would also think it was cool if we had a game where we were playing against Baltimore, honor Cam at that game. Also, please don't put Byron... Or not uh, Byron Maxwell. Uh, who's the guy before that? The one that's arrested? Yeah, don't, Brandon put, Brandon, Browner. don't put Brandon Browner into the <laughs> Ring of Honor. Thanks. Uh, appreciate, appreciate you. <laughs> no, I think we're good. Uh, also, uh, it Walt, uh, Thurman? Not, not in. Yeah, um, that man, that guy felt like he had so much potential and it just never, never panned out. All right, and Brian Schottenheimer's wife was the person who fixed our offense because uh, apparently Brian Schottenheimer's wife um, said, also not told, a fan of the run, run pass. Told Brian Schottenheimer, "You run it up the middle, and I don't like that." And Schottenheimer, I guess, responded, "Yeah, join the club." That was from Joe <laughs> Fan on Twitter. I like, I love that so much uh, that Schottenheimer's wife is even on him about running. running so too whichever much. of you Seahawks Nest patrons is. Schottenheimer's wife, thank you for relaying the message since you're apparently part of the club. And if there's any club that is official that dislikes the way that he was calling the offense, it's our patrons. Yeah, seriously. Um, okay, and then the that's it. That's basically it. Um, let's get right into the uh, Michelle Schottenheimer, Josh Schottenheimer. Um, uh, no, I think I think it's Chuckatilla th- Schottenheimer. No, I think I think it's a. Uh, it's got to be Augustin Keith, Keith Flocktimus Prime Keto <laughs> Schottenheimer. Uh, no, okay. So then, the, the, um, <laughs> so this is too inside baseball. This is what happens when Eric's not here. Yeah, Eric's not here to rein us in on the stupid things. Welcome to the Loopy Show. Okay, so then let's get into the game. I want to start with the wide receivers um, and the tight ends because I thought that the one thing that was cool is the ball really got spread around in this game. Will Disley, other than the fumble, had <laughs> had a really good game. Uh, and like really looked good. Seven receptions. He got three first downs and a touchdown. Um, just thought that he really did a good job, you know, moving moving the ball and really showed out as like a really good target. Uh, Russell Wilson had a one thirty five point nine rating on passes targeting Will Disley, and then as you said before, Kevin Jaron Brown. Jaron Brown finally got into action with three catches for fifty yards, two first downs. Um, and I just really am excited to see because Jaron Brown, I think, has a lot of potential in terms of like balancing out our offense with with uh, DK and Tyler Lockett. We need another guy to kind of step up into that role, and I think Jaron Brown is the guy. Um, so, what did you see went from our? Anything else you saw from our pass catchers in this game? Uh, I saw again Russell Wilson continue to trust. He had that one uh, off balance kind of blind throw to Luke Wilson. That beautiful little dime. Um, on the long scoring drive uh, in the fourth quarter. And it was good to see him. He has a lot of trust for our receivers. He's been throwing the ball up to DK Metcalf. People want to talk negatively about his catch percentage as far as in comparison to targets. Uh, He's been trusted to come down with a lot of passes that you wouldn't expect to see Russell Wilson throwing, especially to a rookie receiver. There's a pass in that game where I was like, oh, I don't know about that throw. Like That seems like a risk, but he obviously trusted DK to at least make a play on the ball and make it so that the cornerback doesn't come down with it. Because he puts up like, he put up two 50-50 balls in this game to DK. Yeah, um, the one was the Kevin Peterson coverage, and that was a real 50-50 ball. And then 
one of the it was the two end zone plays. Yeah. Where they were just he was basically just going DK's not going to let the person get in. No, he's and not, DK didn't let the guy get yeah, in. Yeah, he's not going to he's not going to give up the pick. I mean, the bare minimum is he's going to just knock it down. And yeah, it kind of sucks to have a guy with such a low catch rate and I do hope that throughout the season DK can get a little more efficient, but for right now, he kind of you know, he's an unfinished product. We kind of knew this coming out of college, right? That he wasn't going to be a finished product right away. I think he's already much better than most people expected in terms of his ability to play. Um, how many snaps did he play in this game? He played quite a bit. And, I mean, that's just something I think that maybe we wouldn't have expected that DK Metcalf would be out there for 39 snaps out of our 62 offensive snaps, right? And getting four targets, it's he, he was a piece. Like, he had as many targets as Tyler Lockett. Now, not everyone can be Tyler, move the chains, Lockett. But I don't even feel like I need to talk very much about Tyler Lockett anymore. But like, because he just comes in, does exactly what he does. Yeah, four catches, fifty-one yards, really good game, two first downs. But the, Tyler Lockett just he pushes he pushes the the whole room forward. I, and he's so good. Did you, did you you know something weird that that I noticed during the game? What's that? that? Tyler Lockett doesn't always line up in the slot like i kind of expected when we had three wide receivers that he would be in the slot but no dk's been in the DK's slot been in the a slot. larger number of the time you'd think dk's been in the slot 29 times already this season which is like 29 more than you would i would have guessed and one you... of his touchdowns was on a slot reception yeah and then but uh, if you can get a 510 corner on dk or you know somebody then, wants to try and put a linebacker on him i mean i'm all for it and then jb had has had 77 sn- slot snaps so far this season so they're really trying to to use these guys versatilely and put stuff on tape so that teams can't just be like okay tyler lockett's on the field with two other wide receivers he was is going to be in the slot like they they want you you don't want to be predictable the way to to win in the nfl is to create mismatches and to to let, not let the other team know what you're doing yeah we'll talk about this in our rams preview but that's something that makes most modern nfl offenses uh difficult to work with it's the same reason why will disley is such a valuable weapon now that he's really proving himself as a consistent pass catcher like you said, he had three first down catches. He had the touchdown. He's had multiple strong pass catching games. And that means that when we have Disley out there, they have to worry about having our best run blocking tight end out there as well as our best pass catching tight end. And so he can be out there every single down and it doesn't tip your hand whatsoever as to what you're doing. All right. So um, let's go with uh, running backs. Okay, obviously, uh, healthy scratch or healthy scratch. I mean, semi healthy scratch for Rashad Penny. Um, he just wasn't. You able- think if this wasn't a Thursday game coming up, he yes. would have. Yeah, one hundred percent. One hundred percent. He would. He would have played, but they did. They had to choose. Does he play in the Arizona game or does he play in the Rams game? Because he's not healthy enough to play in both. And they mm-hmm. were like, uh, "Let's pick Rams." <laughs> I think they. I think we'll need the extra. I think they might have correctly the identified game. the the game that will be more difficult uh, between between the two. It turns out that teams that are better at football are harder to beat. Oh, that's so weird. I, I know. Never would have thought of that. That's why people tune in for the hot takes. Uh, so Chris Carson had himself a Marshawn Lynch game. Yeah. Uh, where he just kept running More. into the fourth quarter and got progressively harder and harder. And as Marshawn Lynch would tell you. If you punch someone in the face over and over and over and over and over and over and over, eventually you're just not going to punch in the face anymore. 
Yeah, um, yards after contact per attempt, 4.82. He got 4.82 of his yards after contact per attempt, 106 of his 100, 106 yards after contact in this game. Nine uh, avoided tackles. 104 rushes, nine avoided tackles, which was first in the NFL this week. And just gross. That's a gross number. Uh, yeah, Ron, Ron, he tied with Alvin Kamara and Ronald Jones, who played against the team that we're about to play, which makes you feel pretty good <laughs> about Chris Carson next week, right? If freaking Ronald Jones got nine missed tackles against the Rams last week, I think Chris Carson might be okay next week. Might be okay. The also Ronald had Jones two experience. two receiving ones. I don't hate Ronald Jones. I, th- I my scouting said that he could be pretty good, but he needed to add size. He's a little little scrawny. Well, Chris Carson, eleven avoided tackles if you include the two that he shucked uh, on that reception the, where he just powered through. What him. about that? Yeah, he dragged that guy like <laughs> ten yards down the field. Just like so many extra yards. Uh, it was like that Jerome Bettis commercial they keep playing over and over. Yeah, he had four catches. Um, I really think what's something that's impressed me about Chris this year is he's definitely come along as a re- as a receiver. Um, I think that we we heard before the season started, hey, Chris Carson's going to be uh, more involved in the passing game. But the four catches for 41 yards, they're actually showing it on the field. They get him involved in the passing game. And I, I think that's really – it's been a, a really big – um, really big part of our offense and something that's really exciting. I dislike how conservative it is as a play call, and there's times where it's being used the, that I hate it. The designed, the designed running back throw is like the bane of my existence. Yeah, it's basically the replacement for the uh, Juanita bubble. Uh, for those of you that have been around long enough to remember our Brian Walters uh, discussions, so instead of the Juanita bubble, we have the Carson flip. Um, yeah, I, I want to go back to, to Brian Russell, dude. Remember him? Dead, dead, uh, we did dead, go back to Brian Russell. Dead cut bounce. Because if you watch uh, Michael Kendricks try and tackle anyone, then you get to watch Brian Russell. Well, speaking of, um, of a lot, oh, let's go back to offensive line. Okay. Um, yep. Not the worst day for the offensive line, uh, other than Jermaine Effetti. Uh, Jermaine Effetti allowed six, Effetti got six pressures on 62, uh, 62 snaps. Um, just, just not once again, not a strong day from Jermaine Effetti. I, I just don't really get any. Why we're playing him? It just doesn't make sense anymore. At this point, he's not developing anymore. He seems to, he comes along for a game and then he regresses for a game, and it's just it's so inconsistent. And, and Fant's been consistently solid every time we put him out there as a blocker. It's Fant frustrating allowed, to me. Fant allowed zero pressures on his four pass blocking snaps. Um, played sixteen snaps as a tight end. Twelve. 12, block, 12 run blocks, 4 pass blocks, 0 routes run. Okay, Seahawks, that's a cowardly act. you got to use your best tight end as he should be, which is as a weapon. Okay, you got to get him out there on some routes. You know, you can't just throw him out there to block every time. Versatility. you got This, this is a weapon. You need to utilize it. Okay, George Fant is not there to just block. Come on. We all know. We, we all know. I mean, maybe they're saving it for this week because this is the Rams, and we need some secret weapons. And I'm giving away the secret, which is probably not the best idea I've ever had. <laughs> okay, so um, that's pretty much it. One thing I really liked about the the Seahawks is that um, they didn't they spread the ball around a lot in this game, and I just like when the Seahawks offense works like that. When there's multiple guys getting it working, it's not just like 17 targets for Tyler Lockett and everyone else played like trash, you know. And they and they the thing I don't like is I really wish they would have exploited specific matchups more. Um, so like you know Byron Murphy was uh not looking uh super super hot i felt like and same with chris chris jones uh, murphy was one of their higher oh wait no no defensive sorry you're thinking of the um dj swearinger was yeah getting DJ just swearinger. Beat and all like, day. Uh, they, i really wish they would just attack like one guy over and over because you see good teams do that to us 
And I, I want us to start doing that to other teams. Yeah, and that was a matchup we could exploit. I think that's why you saw so many Disley passes is because their linebackers and safeties were their weakness in coverage. Their corners actually played a pretty solid game. But it was clear in the second half um, there were a couple of kind of scare plays where Pete got a little gun shy. We were up 20 to 3, and he just went, okay, let's shut it down. And outside of that eight-minute drive for the final touchdown – you could tell they just kind of packed the offense up and were like, well, don't want to use up all of our points in the season on this game. So, all right, let's go to the defense. Okay, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go right to the bone that I need to pick. Okay, I'm going to skip ahead. They, in this game, attempted to get David Johnson onto a linebacker for basically the whole game, and we just kind of let it let it happen. And it's so irritating to me because David Johnson picked on Picked on our dudes, you know what I mean. David Johnson had a really, a really strong receiving game. He Bobby Wagner got eight, worked. eight receptions for ninety nine yards. Um, now the thing is, is that some of them are underneath routes that stop from being first downs. That's fine, but it's just it's frustrating that like we just kind of let. And then Bobby Wagner covering all these wide receivers. Like of course he's going to give up receptions. He gave up a first down to Trent Sherfield, a first down to Christian Kirk, two first downs to David Johnson. Like. We're putting these guys in positions to fail, and it's starting to really frustrate me. KJ Wright gave up a first down to David Johnson. You know, it's like we have cornerbacks, and I I don't think Jamar Taylor is great, but he is good. He is, I think, at this point, proven to be demonstrably average. Um, you know, you know, he has really bad mess ups, but he also has some really good plays that make up for it. You know, so on balance, kind of just the most bang average, boring player, and use him. Get him out there. Play play him. I don't it doesn't make sense to me. It's frustrating on sixty-three total defensive snaps that we had KG out for fifty-five of them and Kendrick's out for fifty-three. There's just no excuse and, for that. Taylor had eighteen snaps. Yeah. Eight eighteen snaps and against, he was our only nickel snaps. Against the air raid. The, you know, it's it's not surprising that we we're lucky we only gave up two hundred and forty one passes. This was games. a dink and dunk everything Boom. underneath throwing game, which is what our offense can uh which, which is what our defense is kind of designed to shut down. So they played into exactly what we do. Murray was two for three on attempts over 10 air yards and 0 for two on over 20 yards. They just never threw it downfield, which is why we didn't get punished too hard for having the linebackers out there. Yes. But it was still like, it was still just poor design. I mean, we got lucky because they kind of killed themselves with, uh, with penalties and, like ended up in like a lot of and long situations where we could just kind of sit back, give up seven yards and not worry about it. Um, because they, they only ended up running what 63, they were in 63 offensive plays, right? Mm-hmm. But they only threw it 33 times. So they, they really, we it really was run heavy and underneath pass heavy. It was like a, a really weird West coast air raid hybrid. And another thing that, that we were lucked out on is like, because they put themselves in all these bad situations and then they, or they, they ended up having a really, really good efficiency numbers, 5.5 yards per rush, almost eight yards per pass attempt, but they ended up just killing their drives, missing field goals. Zane Gonzalez was horrible in this game. They, their offense shot themselves in the foot and their special team shot their offense in the face. (laughs) So, so, so like they, we got, we got kind of lucky. I really felt very fortunate in this game that their offense wasn't able to punish us more because 
it honestly was not like a stellar overall performance from the defense. I think our defense tightens up a lot in the red zone, which is partially responsible for the field goal attempts. But you can't say that when we run up against an actually good offense. That's why we're going to have a lot of trouble next week if we can't right. tighten this up. Jadamian Clowney showed exactly why we went out and got him. Uh, just an excellent performance from him. The interception, the five pressures, um, the so disruptive on the interior. Uh, just able to, the way he just did. You see the play where he ran? They ran a um, they ran a stunt. He goes inside to the guard and just slaps him in the face, and then the guard just falls over, and then he <laughs> runs the, towards the quarterback. It's like yes, Jadavian Clowney is a, is a is a man amongst boys. He's he is a, a phenomenal athlete, and uh, the more and more he gets into the system and keeps playing more and more, the and he's versatile too. They they you can line him up on the outside, line him up on the inside. You can line him standing up. You can line him. And so since the defense or the offense never knows where he's coming from, that's terrifying. And he's one of those rare defensive linemen you can drop into coverage Mm -hmm. and he can actually do something. Mm -hmm. So only one coverage drop back this time, but he, but, um, I mean, I think that might've been the play he got the inter, they counted that as a coverage drop back. The well, interception. And the Even big thing was... is, it's just a versatility play. Yeah. Yeah. And it, I mean, you're paying him to rush the passer, but it just means that if he drops, you have to anticipate that he's actually doing something when he drops. Ziggy Ansah got his first like real burn of the season, played 39 snaps. And one thing Had that. a game closing sack. Yeah, a game closing sack, four pressures. Uh, and. The thing for me about Ziggy Ansah that I really noticed, he had four tackles in this game, and that guy's got a motor. He doesn't really quit on a play, which is something I, I didn't know about him before we got him. I knew he was a good pass rusher, I knew, but he's like um infinite motor guy. Like He's going to get a lot of sacks just from a Grant Wistrom in him. never quitting. He just <laughs> never quits, dude, on the play. He's just always after it. I guess he's a real lunch pail guy. Real, gr- <laughs> real, real lunch pail guy, real blue collar. Blue collar grinder, you know, Ezekiel Ansah. Son of a coach. That's, I mean, seriously though, that guy just like does not quit on the play, and it's it's very exciting to see. He's kind of a consummate Seahawk in that way, and I'm. The nice thing is we have a lot of dudes like that on the roster. So when you have guys that are really athletic, like uh, Ziggy Ansah and Jadavion Clowney, that are really athletic and disruptive, Puna Ford, who's disruptive in the middle, Quinton Jefferson, who's refined his pass rush ability. and uh, Rasheem Green, who's shown that he can get in there and mix it up on a pass rush as well. And the athleticism that Rasheem Green, when uh, Kyler Murray booted had that boot action out to the left, and Green just chased him down and sacked him, that was a level of athleticism I didn't necessarily expect to see from Rasheem Green at this point. In college, you saw him make a lot of athletic plays, but he just hadn't really done it at the NFL level. That's a sign to me that he's getting a lot more comfortable. So, um, then, so yeah, then uh, the next guy I want to talk about is Shaquem Griffin. Uh, Shaquem Griffin. Shaquille or Shaquem? Shaquille. Oh my gosh. Right. I do this all the time. Nope. No problem. I do it so often. I was like, Shaquem Griffin, special teams. All right. All no. three phases. Okay. Offense, Sha- defense, and Shaquille special Griffin. teams. Here's my thing about Shaquille Griffin. He had a good game. Really good game. Got asked to cover some guys who are tough to cover, Christian Kirk and Larry Fitzgerald, and did a really excellent job. But the main thing about Shaquille Griffin that I want to note is that he got hurt in this game and left for a play. And I got really worried. Yep. And it made me realize like how good he's playing this season because I was like, dang, that guy's getting like a pass breakup in every game and like he's playing really good. I really don't want him to be out. And then I was like, okay, he's definitely playing a lot better than last year if that's the first thing that goes through my head. Because last year I would have been like, ah, Shaquille's hurt. Well, it's not going to be a huge drop to Akeem King. This time I was like, that's going to be a lot worse if Akeem King plays a, that's an a, exploitable matchup. 100 snaps. They're, they're going to just throw it at Akeem King over and over and it's going to be bad. So I really think Shaquille Griffin's coming to a, into his own. He's almost to that like legitimate 
cornerback one level back to where we thought he probably would have been last year. But, yep. he, but he stepped up. He had the, obviously a little bit of regression last year. He's having the 2018 we wanted him to have. He's just having it a year late, and I'm willing to forgive. I mean, there's a reason he didn't. He didn't go in the the first round, right? You know, he was drafted in round three, selection number ninety. He slipped that far because he was probably a little bit of a project. And the, this is the it took an extra year, and that's what you happens when you don't draft the guy with the first round pedigree, right? Yep. You don't draft the uh, Marshawn Lattimore. You know, we don't have the chips to get that guy, so instead we get Shaquille Griffin, and we develop him into what it now looks like an excellent football player. I mean, he was really good his rookie year too, if I'm being honest, playing across from Richard Sherman. Because um, when you play Earl Thomas over the when top. you play across from Richard Sherman, you get thrown at a lot because yep. people don't throw at Richard Sherman. They just don't do it. <laughs> they just decide not to. Um, I already talked about how I'm tired of guys getting put in position to fail. Bobby Wagner and uh, and Michael Kendricks and KJ Wright they're they're being put in a position to fail by being asked to drop back in coverage and like Michael thirty Kendricks times. Michael Kendricks was each. an extremely efficient pass rusher when he was asked to do the thing that he probably does the best, which is kind of those read and react pass rush plays off the edge. He was very very efficient and two, very very effective. Two sacks and five run stops, like. If if we just use Michael Kendricks as like a disrupt the backfield cannonball, he's on like you know thirty snaps a game. He'll probably be really good and just give twenty three more uh, cor- slot corner nickel snaps to uh, to the to the other dudes. And if we want to play big nickel, that's fine. I mean, we rolled out Delano Hill and we rolled out uh, Tedrick Thompson. Uh, Thompson had a typical solid game. If we want those snaps to go to Amadi, if we want to go to Blair, I don't really care who we set, put them on. I just want them to go to somebody who has the athleticism to match up with these faster guys that we're constantly getting exploited on. And big vote of confidence for Tedrick in this game. I mean, they mm-hmm. he came back from the injury. He's finally fully healthy, and they they he got basically all of his snaps back. And I think it shows that the, tr- the trust that the team has for him, even if maybe the general consensus is that he's not that great, I think that... For me, Tedrick Thompson is the definition of a, like the the bang average free safety, and uh, doesn't hurt the team, but isn't putting a lot on the table either. But he doesn't take anything off the table, so you know that's something something you need to think about. Is there are guys maybe we could put it back there that were more dynamic? Let's take um, let's take Blair for an example. Um, but those toxic differential but, but plays. The, but the thing is, is he's going to take something off the table too, even if he puts something on it. Tedrick isn't taking anything off the table. Their table is just staying exactly as it is. And then other guys have the opportunity to make plays because he's not back there screwing up. Uh, Tedrick Thompson's like Panera. You know, you're getting a decent meal for a decent price. But, you know, you're not wowing anybody. Yeah, you're not, you, don't, you don't take – someone doesn't come in from out of town and you don't go, hey, let me show you this cool place we got, and you take them to a Panera. That's exactly it. You don't do that. But if you're doing a business meeting and someone brings some Panera bagels, you're like, yeah, that's all right. All right. Yeah, or if I'm you, fine with if that. If someone's like, hey, I want to meet you for a meeting, uh, can we meet at Panera? You're like, oh, okay, fine. That, cool, that'll, not Applebee's. That'll, I'm good with that. That'll work, yeah. <laughs> I, can make, I can make this happen. Brian um, Russell, Applebee's. Uh, let's, Tedrick Thompson, Panera. Big props. <laughs> big, wait. Who, wait, Brian Russell's yeah, Applebee's? Applebee's. Okay, yeah. okay, I got it. Now I caught back up. Yeah, we're okay. good. Um, Michael, <laughs> Quentin Jefferson. Um, I got to give props to Quentin Jefferson. He's been put in a tough position where he's you, – normally, you know, he gets like 10 defensive end snaps and 10 defensive tackle snaps per game. And now he's being asked to play like 40 snaps a game of exclusively tackle because we're so thin at the position. And he has stepped up admirably, turned himself into a guy that I think is pretty indispensable in terms of squad uh, squad depth. 
And uh, I can't say enough nice things about Quentin Jefferson. Very disruptive on the inside. Does a good job. Holds his lane. Does his job. Um, just just a really good football player. And I'm very – I mean, I've been a Quentin Jefferson stand for like three years. So people who listen to this podcast already know most of my feelings. I don't need to say uh, too much. But, yes, thank you, for, thank you, Quentin, for holding down the fort while Jaron Reed is uh, in Goodell jail for no reason. And this is a guy who at Maryland in college he played – um outside on a 3-4 scheme or he played inside on a 4-3 scheme and so this is playing to the versatility of his skill set that he already had and what you see is the part that he wasn't really doing in college was carrying his pass rushing ability over to those interior snaps which is one of the reasons he dropped so far in the draft so the fact that he's carrying some of that interior pass rush ability along with him is a really good sign for his progression as a player all right Last week, the so that's that's it for me. I don't really want to. I don't have much to say. Special teams, special teams was unsurprisingly very solid. Um, yeah, good stuff. Uh, Myers bounce, hit his first field goal, I believe, right? Yeah, bounce back game after the the disaster the previous week where they gave up the touchdown against New Orleans. New Orleans, by the way, goes out and wins against Dallas as In a, an as ugly a game. ugly game, but made it made me feel a lot better about our loss because <laughs> I was like, well. Maybe we aren't so bad. This defense is looking dominant. Their defensive line's really good. The Dav- Davenport, Cameron, those guys are playing really, really high. They stepped up. They were like, hey, we need to step up and play really good. And In they- all fairness, I always feel good when Dallas loses. Okay. I mean, yeah, but Yes, whatever. this felt especially gambling, good. Gambling, uh, gambling podcast. Uh, I'll leave the gambling thoughts for that. Okay. <laughs> Let's talk about the the Rams, though. The Rams are 12th in DVOA. They're behind us. 11th in offense, 10th in defense, 25th in special teams. Um, just a really solid all-around team. Uh, Seahawks are 7th in offense, 17th in defense, and 21st in special team, 11th overall. Our numbers are very close together. These teams are pretty tightly packed. Weird things happen on Thursday night games, so I don't feel like much of a favorite. And uh, the th- division game, too. Those I think, are two weird things. I think negative two is a good one. And we have to wear those stupid uniforms. I freaking hate color rush so much and the line on this game is interesting because depending on where you look which sports book it's anywhere from seahawks plus one to seahawks minus one and a half yeah most places i see minus one or minus one and a half that's like because i shop people people, long time listeners know i'm a line shopper i i have accounts on multiple websites and i shop the lines a little bit um but yeah i'm i think i've been seeing minus one minus one and a half most places and that 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 seems fair to me. I mean, the Rams deserved a little bit of extra because they were the dominant team in the NFC West last year, and they kind of put it on us last time we played uh, each other, didn't they? Well, no, no. Last year we played them close. It was two years ago when they absolutely just took us out yeah, behind the woodshed. I was going to say, there was one game where— Yeah, it was like 42-7. to seven. That was the second game uh, in 2018. Last year we played them really close both games but could not win either game. I want to say we lost by a combined five. Okay. And then so this game's I think it's I mean obviously it's really important. Um San Francisco's playing really good right now. They're 3 and 0. We're 3 and 1. Lions are 3 and 1. This division's going to be tight. Okay. They all these teams are going to make you work for it. San Francisco I think will, you know, it'll fall back to the pack, but the Rams and the Seahawks this is if you want if you want to play home playoff games, this is a game you have to win, right? You can't give you don't want to give up home field. Uh, the home game. So last the, year the we lost rival. 36-31 in November and 33-31 in October. That's, that's wild. So a couple of really close games. Okay. A couple of very uh, big offensive games for our team last year considering the offense. So how do you how do you exploit the Los Angeles Rams when we are on offense? Well, let me tell you what. Uh, Aaron rush- Donald just can't rush the passer. Only has one sack this year at 
No, I, you run. He how has you, 15 pressures, you guys. How you beat, uh, don't, do not think that Aaron Donald is not still amazing at rushing. How you, how you beat the Rams is that you, you try to run and you, you, do, you kind of rope it over. But they're, they're not like a team that has an imbalance rush defense. They, they miss tackles. And the, the, thing that, the thing that will help us is that Chris Carson is good at making teams miss tackles. Especially so, their secondary misses we, a lot of yeah, tackles. You John have to, Johnson, Aqib Tlaib. You have Nick to get into the Coleman. second level. You, so we want to, what, the goal should be to get Chris Carson in the second level because uh, he's our best tackle breaker. You know, He's a guy who can make people miss. Um, I could see much DK. More so really being a difficult guy for a few of them to bring down his combination of size and speed if we can get him the ball like on some of those shorter routes yeah um that's so that's like their their defense i i think their defense is pretty balanced and like you said aaron donald not getting not getting a lot of sacks but he's so disruptive one way you can beat him though in the run game is he tries so hard to get into the backfield so fast that you can run kind of past him yeah. Um, and that's something teams have been exploiting this year, which I think has led to a little bit of, um, you know, a little slightly. Which that's Dante Fowler's having a really good season so far, but he's one of those guys where if you run straight at him, he doesn't hold up super well in the run game, and you can eliminate him a lot in that way. Okay, the Rams like to run the ball. The the thing I think that the, there's like this perception about the Los Angeles Rams that they're like a they're like a passing team. They play with three wide receivers all the time, and they they only throw and all all this stuff. That that is like not true. They're one of the most efficient running teams in the league. They're one of the best running teams in the league. Last year, they they had I think they were they were second or third in the whole league in the uh, in rushing, and so I just don't understand why people get they get this idea like oh well they always play with three wide receivers the reason they play with three wide receivers is because they want to mess up your personnel they want to mess with the way that you line up and they they do this by lining their guys up in all different places all of the time so you never know where oh Gurley's gonna line up or maybe they're gonna run a jet sweep to cup or maybe they're gonna jet sweep to woods or maybe they're gonna run jet sweep to cooks it all these guys do all those things and they're all really interchangeable parts. And people think like Cooper Cup's the only slot guy. Well, Cooper Cup has the most slot snaps this year, 220, but Woods has 89 and Cooks has 58. They don't restrict themselves about where these guys line up. It's not like, hey, your job is your slot receiver. Your job is your outside receiver. It's like, hey, these are the things that we're going to do. We're going to run jet sweeps. We're going to run uh, we're gonna run all these routes. We're gonna run these combination routes. We're gonna do a bunch of pre-stop motions to double check what the defense is doing, figure out if it's man or zone. And then, and then, Goff, what he's really good at is deciding whether to run or pass. And I'm 99% sure that every time he comes to the line, he has a run plan and plan a pass play. And he reads the defense and he decides if there's gonna be a gap there and where they're gonna to run too. You know what, like what side they'll call it out. And so, one. Be loud if you're at the game because that you that's that how you will mess them that, up. that will mess them up. And bad. Goff has been extremely turnover prone. He yeah. has something like because uh, thirteen fumble, fourteen fumbles in his last thirteen games, and he's thrown uh, six picks in his last eight games, which is not good for them. But they'll brutalize you on these these plays where they see like, okay, we have this gap to run through. Here comes Gurley untouched for like fourteen yards. <gasps> And he's that's really a, good at making people miss in the second level as well. That's a very Rams play to do that. Uh, so far this season, I mean, they have multiple guys hurting people in the run game. Gurley has 219 yards. Mal- Malcolm Brown has 111. They got Woods on 43 yards off of sweeps. And then Cup has a couple sweeps. Cooks, like, they're not going to just throw one guy at us. We have to be ready for everything. And this is my biggest thing, is if this game, 
we play three three, three linebackers, linebackers for like 45 snaps in this game, they're going to kill us because I don't want to see Michael Kendricks running across the field trying to catch Cooper Cup while he runs through the backfield to get a At handoff. two miles an hour faster than he used to. <laughs> oh, yeah. I saw that article. There's, there's an article that's been making the rounds. It's like Cooper Cup taught himself how to run again, and he now he's two miles an hour faster. Maybe that's why he trimmed the beard up. It's aerodynamic this way. Dude, his beard is the... Okay, we, I was talking to Kevin about this before the podcast. I said, Kevin, I was watching some Ram stuff, and... Cooper Cup has the worst beard in the NFL. And Kevin's like, it can't be that bad. Like, there's a lot of really garbage beards in the NFL. And I was like, no, dude, you got to look at this beard. It's bad. His so- beard is so blonde, it looks like he doesn't have beard in places he does. So it's this weird, and- like, Hollywood Hogan patchy effect that's not good. And you can tell he works really hard on it, too, because it's edged up so much and, like, so clean. And it's like, oh, my gosh, this guy spends probably time every single day edging up this really horrifically dumb looking beard. He must have watched so much One Direction um, and been like, I could be the tough guy in I'm, that band. I'm being very judgy, but um, <laughs> I don't care. Uh, so, yeah, that's the thing we got to do is just uh, be loud, prevent them, and then don't let, don't give them the easy exploitable matchups because Goff is good at reading the defense. Goff will find those mat- matchups to exploit, and he will exploit them. Well, and in addition to that, the weakness of, of this offense has been – their offensive line. Their offensive line has been in a regression for the last couple of seasons. And right now it's Andrew Whitworth and dudes. Joseph Noteboom, mm-hmm. uh, their uh, recently promoted guard for this season, has not been playing very well. Uh, their new center, Brian Allen, is not off to a yeah. very good start. Austin Desmond, Blythe looks terrible. So they Rams had to make tough choices in the offseason, right? And they, I think they thought, like, okay, these guys are good enough. We'll get away with it. But they're not. They you're, they have four offensive linemen that I think are all playing at below league average level. Even and, Riley Havenson, who should be one of their more reliable guys, is not looking good early this season. Another thing, too, is their offensive line has a, a boatload of penalties. Uh, haven't seen us five. Whitworth has four. Like they, they have like a everyone's Fetty, got a couple. A Fetty level <laughs> penalties taken here because a Fetty also has five penalties. If you didn't know, um, and so the good thing about that is if our crowd shows up and gets loud, like we know you guys will, you know, follows those rules. Oh my God! Please don't talk about that. Okay, uh, <laughs> but if you, if they show up and are loud, which you know, if if they show up for a primetime game, which the Seahawks always turn out for, and the crowd always turns out for, and gets really loud, you can start seeing some of those offensive linemen making some big mistakes, and we have the type of front four that can take over a game with Clowney, with Anza, with Ford. I have a question for you, Kevin, because I thought this was fun. Um, and I, I'm joking, but who do you think has more penalties this year, the starting offensive line or the wide receiver position group? For the Seahawks? Yeah. Oh, man, all those blocking in the back. I'm taking the wide receivers. Yeah, the wide receivers have seven, and the starting offensive linemen have eight. <laughs> so, I like how the but, starting offensive line has eight and Fetty has five. Yeah. Just, uh, oh, it's Matt exactly has four, Jaron Brown has two, and Moore has one. And then if we could wide receivers and tight ends, they would have won because Disley has four as well. Um, but but Disley's an offensive lineman and a wide receiver. Yeah, that's true. I couldn't count him. He, he counts for he both. He put two in each pool. Yeah, so... so <laughs> Yeah, that's that's what I'm looking for in the Rams game. I'm really looking for us to to not give away those exploitable matchups. Don't give Goff a chance to find it. Disguise what you're doing on defense and then force him into mistakes. Um, yeah, I need to see our. Uh, I need to see us playing nickel, and I need to see our um, front four really showing up and impacting the game hard. Okay, uh, I think it's time for picks. I'm going to pick Seahawks thirty-one, 
Rams 27. I think this is a bit high scoring game. Um, so the last, like Kevin said, the last two last year were pretty high scoring. And honestly, I just don't think the defense can carry us like it used to back in the day. It's, it's up to the offense. Now we are a team that needs to rely on our offense. We need to rely on Russell Wilson. And I think that that will do it. All right, Kevin, what you got? Uh, I have a very similar thing, except I think it's going to be even more pointy. Oh, yeah. There we go. I've got Seahawks 38, Rams 33, and I think we exploit their secondary quite a bit. I think that deep passing game is going to rear its head. And unless the Seahawks are up big and are running the ball out, then I think that we're going to be looking at an interesting uh, high-scoring primetime game. All right, and then uh, do we have a scoregami watch? We know how much Pete loves scoregami. Yeah, I was gonna say like thirty six twenty nine. You could do that. Yeah, you could do th- uh, thirty uh, thirty is pretty bad. You could do th- if you do thirty nine, you got all kinds of options. Thirty nine twenty nine thirty nine thirty seven. I would okay. love to see thirty nine thirty seven. My heart might not be able to take it, but my soul wants it. Yeah, that's that's a weird game. Like with a <laughs> lot of a lot of field goals or something. Uh, okay, what's Eric got? Uh, Eric. I do not believe gave a point total for this game, oh, he but didn't. he is taking the Seahawks. Okay. Um, did you know that there's been an NFL game that was seventy-three to zero? All right. Uh, okay. Because uh, I was looking at the score. Bringing you the important facts. Uh, yeah. Okay. Eric picks. Eric picks Seahawks. So we all pick Seahawks. We're in trouble. We did. We're in trouble. Okay. Um, <laughs> well, yeah. We all had to pick them, or we all had to pick against them. But sometimes we split. Okay. Not not today though. Today was not that day. All right. Seahawks. Nest fans. Uh, there are many ways to help the Seahawks Nest podcast, but the best way is to head over to patreon.com slash Seahawks Nest. So for as little as $1.24 a month, you get access to our special uh, bonus podcast uh, with gambling, uh, our gambling thoughts, and also uh, access to the group chat, which has been pretty fun, I think, so far this season. Uh, thanks, James, Tom, Lucas, Carrie, Bob, Kieran, Brett, Mike, David, Flocktons, Keith, Michelle, Brian, Frank, Nick, and then uh, Mitch Oppenheimer. <laughs> Miss Schottenheimer, whoever you are. And uh, thank you also to Dustin. Uh, so the 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 other way, you know, you maybe you're broke. Maybe you have no money at all. Head over to iTunes. Give us a five-star review. Go ahead and head over to your favorite podcast app. Give us a thumbs up, a star. Tell a friend about the Seahawks Nest podcast. We're at 87 five-star ratings. You guys are really bringing it. Um, yeah, that's it. All right. Uh, Kevin, can I do some funny, some like uh, funny around the NFL stories? Because, All right. Because I know we don't normally get a chance to do that, but since because Eric's not here, I feel like we can do just some like uh, some ridiculousness. Yeah, some just like stupid, uh, stupid things. We already talked about Cooper Cup learning, relearning how to run. Yeah. Uh, which I think is like this happens with with Olympic sprinters, so I sort of believe it, but it was just there's like, truth to it. It just sounds ridiculous. It just sounds so stupid. Okay, ESPN ran an article. It was basically like what's your weird pregame superstition right and in this article they found out that tom brady's been using the same shoulder pads since he was in college 25 years um how do you how do you feel about that wait what he's been using the same shoulder pads since he was in college so he's been using the same shoulder pads for 25 years and we gave AB that much crap about wanting to reuse a helmet. There's no way shoulder he, pad technology appara- has not improved. He apparently he gets them like reconditioned every year. What does that even mean? Then is okay. I want to know how much original. What what percentage is original shoulder pad then? 
Uh, oh, is it like when people do like the rebuild mm. on a car and it's like it has the door handle from 1932, so it's a 32 Ford, and you're like it's only the door handles left. Like, yeah, but I mean, since I only replaced one part at a time. Yeah, that's 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 super fair. Uh, I'm not a hundred. I'm not a hundred percent sure which. I, did, it, which I, I it didn't is. think we could go into the analytics I, on this one. Yeah, <laughs> no, I'm. I'm like trying to think like what. Hmm. Yeah, what percentage of the shoulder pad has to still be there and for he, it to be the same? He did say. Pads? Tom Brady, the quote was like, once you find something you like, you stick with it. I bet they just change out his shoulder pads. They're like, it's the same ones, Tom. Um, and there was an, the other weird... That seems like something Bill would do. The other weirdest one was um, they, they talked about uh, coaches. And Ron Rivera... <laughs> Riverboat Ron. Every, every, before every game. So a lot of them were pregame meals. Okay? And so a lot of them were like... Before every game. Uh, Matt Bryant, you know, Matt Bryant for the... Falcons, he drinks a chocolate shake before every game. And then they talked about, for the Seahawks, the one was like, uh, Dixon puts chocolate milk in his coffee before every game, which is just stupid. <sighs> okay, so I, I feel like they could have found something better than that. Easy probably had a better one than that. Definitely Nico Thorpe had a better one than that. Okay, but but the, the Ron Rivera, before every game, he eats ham and cinnamon toast. Gross. <laughs> what is it? First of all, Ham, oh wait, and his wife here lunch beat ham. His wife makes it for him too, so it's like got to be like a like a spiral cut ham, dude. It's it's raw riverboat, Ron. I don't care, man. Ham's dirt tier meat. It's gross. Okay, then and then you put it on. No, the, not not in. The, I'm not even to the best part. Oh, dude. So so she he she gives him the ham and the cinnamon toast. He eats his breakfast. Mm-mm. Then. Then she that's gives. A, then wait, before he like leaves the house, that your broke parent convinces you is a good meal. Did his mom used to make it for him when they were broke? So then, before he leaves or whatever, he uh, he she gives him a freshly baked cookie. I mean, that's all, that that almost makes up for the ham. Is there ham in the cookie? It's weird, right? That's that's a very specific thing. It's like why? First of all, ham. Like ham and cinnamon, and cinnamon toast. toast. Like it, I don't know. Rear <laughs> Ron is weird. There was another one too. Uh, who's the guy that got sacks in like eleven games in a row for Kansas City last year? Um, Houston? No, no, no. It's uh, he's, oh uh, Jones, Chris Jones. Yeah, Chris Jones. Okay, he said that once he started that streak, he never changed his gloves again. And he says they smell horrible, and you could, people can smell them coming <laughs> from away, and they hate them. <laughs> he also said that every game he goes out to eat with the same two because he since he started that streak. He goes out to eat with the same two people and orders the exact same thing he ordered the first time they went there, I which was, was something he liked. Dude, no, this is the best part. He said it's it's like way too much food. He's like, I got three sides of fries, a burger, and like all this other stuff. And he's like, and I can never eat all of it, but I have to just keep getting it. <laughs> I was like, it's just like, oh, okay, okay. If you, just you, have to keep if you don't know it. who Chris Jones is, go look up his stats. Chris Jones, professional large human. If it's too much food for him, that's a lot of food, dude. Dude, three sides of fries. He ordered three I sides. Like, I don't like fries that much. Hot take. Three sides. Fries. Of fr- fries I I love French fries. I but... love like a good waffle fry or something, man. But just straight up French fries. Um, I don't know. Like most fast food you, fries, kind of suck. If you cut it off instead of rounding, Gardner Minshew's career completion percentage right now is sixty nine point four twenty. Yeah, but it was sixty nine four twenty one. No, it's four twenty if you just cut it off instead of rounding. You can't do that. That's not how math works. Yeah, no, you can. You can do that because because <laughs> the memes are strong. Dude, ja- he should have done this? better. That's some wazoo. How about this? The, ja- the Jaguars are two and two. They're one and one at home and one and one on the road. They've scored eighty four points and allowed eighty four points, and they're averaging thirty three point one yards per drive and are giving up thirty three point one yards a drive. 
So they officially don't exist. Their general manager is Thanos, dude. <laughs> I swear I swear to God. It's like the craziest thing. Um, how about this? Kirk Cousins is being paid three years, $84 million. Stephon Diggs, five years, $81 million. And Adam Thielen's four years, $64 million. The Vikings are 31st in passing yards per game and 32nd in passing first downs per yeah, game. Yeah, so everyone complaining about how much we pay Russell Wilson can shut it right up. Yeah, that's like, oh my God, this is... This, <laughs> this is, is the worst case scenario. Bad. I'm glad they're paying all that money to, for him to hand it off to Dalvin Cook. Um, oh, Jaguars are also giving out a bandana and a mustache to anyone who buys two games, two a two game pack. Man, I might buy a two game pack. Yeah, that's pretty sweet. You could go in that pool. That pool is sketchy though, dude. When you whenever they show that pool in the Jaguar Stadium from uh, the side, I'm always waiting for the like water, a band aid to be. The water in looks like super murky, and I'm like, what's going on in that pool? It's there's two options. One, it's either like one of those weird saltwater pools that they <laughs> that they uh, they well, do stuff. Or with two, the, some somebody's fucking. Um, okay, Daniel Daniel Jones. Uh, people are just like all up in his stuff. I would just say, calm down. We all thought Baker Mayfield was good last year too, and now we see where we're at on that one. Daniel, Daniel Jones is officially I, and he'll occasionally have good games. And the last thing, Patrick Mahomes apparently is going to get like two hundred, two hundred million plus dollars. He deserves every penny of it. And I just want to say, you can go back to one of our season preview podcasts from the year that he was a rookie, and I did predict he'd win Rookie of the Year, and he didn't play a single snap that whole season. So I feel like I I caused this. This is my fault. <laughs> Um, he has a terrible voice. He likes catch up on everything, and he's really good at football. <laughs> he seems really likable. He just has the worst takes. The other thing is, too, is have you noticed he's in all these commercials? Like he he, never speaks. and he never speaks because he sounds like he sounds like Kermit the Frog. He's like 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 a like a peppy Kermit the Frog though. He's like, hey guys, it's like why do you talk like that? That's not a Kermit the Frog impression at all. What's wrong with your voice? <laughs> what's wrong with his face? Um, yeah. Uh, that's it. Vontae's Perfect is banned for the season. Thank goodness. Uh, Vontae's Perfect is banned for life from life. Yeah, I don't think any team would ever sign him again now. I hope not. Uh, he makes Bill Roman out. No, wait, no. Bill Romanowski's still a piece of crap because he came out to defend him. Um, yeah, Baker Mayfield always plays with like a huge chip on his shoulder, which I really appreciate, even though the Browns I don't think are that good. They're in first place for the first time in like a billion years, so good for them. Because they always start the season zero and one, so they they never, they they, never get that. So they never even get the one and zero first first place. They just they have to like you know they have to earn it on the field. All right, let's do a movie club. Uh, this week we were we kind of previewed that we were going to do a movie, but we want to wait for Eric to be here. So tonight we also when, dropped a couple of hints through the episode for those yeah, of you listening. So those of you listening, so you guys probably a lot of people you know the, the the loyal fans know which movie's coming next week. This week, um, tonight AEW. Wednesday Night Dynamite premieres on TNT. WWE is running a counter-programming NXT on USA. We've got like a real wrestling uh, fight. And it's actually football adjacent because the owner of the Jaguars is the owner of AEW. And Vince McMahon is starting the XFL. So it's it's very – this whole thing is very like football adjacent plus it's it's cool. It's like like fun. Um, So I thought it would be fun if we went back in the time machine to the last time. There were two major wrestling companies, which is actually probably the last time Kevin actually cared about wrestling. Uh, yeah, it's pretty correct. <laughs> uh, except for when we go in person. Kevin has fun well, at those. Well, going in person is a really fun show. Yeah. But, uh, uh, yeah, I have, I have of, not regularly watched TV wrestling. Speaking of which, shout, like, out, shout out Cody Chun, uh, our favorite local wrestler who beat Darby Allen last, last nice. time. Nice. Good way to go, Classic uh, Chun. Yeah. Okay. So, anyway, um, the so we're going to go back to the Monday Night Wars. This last time we had two head-to-head wrestling things. We're going to just talk. First, let's go favorite WCW moments. I'm going to start. I 
I mean, it's it'd be fun to say something really obscure, you know, like Man of a Thousand One Holds, uh, where Chris Jericho read the list of all the holds he could do. Armbar. Uh, and because he wanted to be better than the Man of a Thousand Holds, uh, Dean Malenko. Uh, was that on WCW awesome. or WWF? No, that was WCW. Okay. It, was, it, was in, uh, it was on, I think it was on an episode of Thunder, actually. And then, you know, we could talk about that or we could talk about different stuff. But I think that, like, the quintessential, the moment that made WCW for me was, you know, Bash at the Beach, when they... The Outsiders, you got Scott Hall and Kevin Nash, and they're wrestling Team WCW, and they're just a-holes, you know, and then they're wrestling Sting, they're wrestling uh, Macho Man, they're wrestling Lex Luger, and then uh, they, they start to get they start to get the upper hand, and then Hulk Hogan comes out, and they're like, oh, Hulk Hogan's going to come save Team WCW. No, he's the third man for the bad guys. And, like, that moment, I feel like, kind of launched WCW, but I just remember as a little kid watching that and just being like legitimately angry like what the hell just happened how could this happen because hulk hogan was like an all-time white meat baby face never did anything bad ever like just flexed and and smiled for the cameras and it was kind of and you have to remember when uh the outsiders came they were jumping people's matches from the audience beating them up and tagging their back with spray paint yep that's what they did it was sweet like that so that and then that, that, that you know that launched the nw angle that made wcw and i think that's like for me, that was just like a very, I had a very emotional reaction to that. And that's what wrestling, really good wrestling shows do, right? They get you to overreact to things that maybe you shouldn't care about at all. So I, I thought that was cool. I'm, I'm all about the Bash of the Beach. Was it 98? Uh, I think it was 98. It was there-ish. Yeah, I'm thinking Bash of the Beach 98. Okay, Kevin. Uh, that is kind of one of my most and least favorite moments. Because I also feel like that's the beginning and the end. Because Bischoff both was the rise and fall of WCW. Right. They, they t- that that thing, they took it too far. Like, they, they tried to ride the coattails of that moment forever. And yeah, they were like, too long. they were like, hey, let's keep doing, like, shocking things and try to surprise people. And then you get stuff like David Arquette being champion and <laughs> just, like, kind of ruins what you're doing. Uh, for me, I'm going to go with... I was a big ECW, uh, Eastern, then later Extreme Championship Wrestling Mm -hmm. fan, and they sent a lot of talent out into WCW and WWF during that time. They kind of were, they were basically the minor league to put talent, they were like fresh talent in. They were like AAA, though. It was like, it was like all, you know, we're almost to the pros, we're in ECW. And one of my favorites to go in was Lance Storm and Lance Storm was in WCW in the early 2000s and they ran a gimmick where he was part of Team Canada and it was an anti-American Canadian stable of wrestlers and they had this bit where he would win a title and rename it so the uh, when they won the heavyweight it became the Canadian heavyweight championship and then the light heavyweight became the 100 kilograms and under championship and then we had the Saskatchewan Hardcore International title, uh, abbreviated to SHIT, <laughs> uh, complete with extremely large Canadian flag stickers that they would cover the faceplate of the belt with. It was just this, like, it, they basically took the uh, classic bit where you'd have, like, the Middle Eastern or the uh, Asian group that would come in and like disrespect america but it was a group of canadians which was simultaneously the best and dumbest thing you could possibly do yeah i would uh i would agree is the be- <laughs> it was the best and and the most dumb um i mean the most dumb thing remember finger poke of doom like there was like so many really dumb things. i meant dumb in a good way i mean i also remember moppy but there was like a lot of dumb things that wcw did that just like killed what they were what they were trying to do yeah they also like they brought in some talent and then didn't really utilize it uh 
the wrestler who Mick Foley, the wrestler who'd eventually become Mankind in a big part of the Attitude Era, was originally wrestling for WCW, and they didn't take care of him and a lot of the people that were wrestling with him. He ended up going through ECW and then to WWF, where he became a huge star. Um, and there's a number. Uh, uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin, originally Stunning Steve Austin. He was part of the, what was it, the Hollywood Blondes mm-hmm. tag teaming for WWE. And then and ended came, up going And he came in. to WWE with a really stupid gimmick too, that ringmaster thing. Uh, well, if you remember though, it was because he was like the hired gun for Ted DiBiase. Which was kind of an interesting gimmick, but he definitely distanced himself. But I mean, what was it? Uh, Triple H came in as... Uh, just as literally like just like this regal blue blood guy, and then I'm who a, was it who came in? And then I'm Diesel a, came in as Shawn Michaels' body. Right, I'm gonna let go first for WWE because I have like three different picks, and I think they're all equal in my mind. So, what's your WWE pick? Uh, oh, this is really hard. So I also have a handful of them, I'm a, and I think a few of them we might agree on. Okay, so let me let me give my my like top three then. All right. Okay. Um, I'll go in order. Three, two, one. So third, I would say. One thing I liked about so these three and two are both kind of similar in that they kind of blurred the line between like what real and not and like so that's when Stone Cold and and uh, Mike Tyson had their feud <laughs> because I really felt like I think they did a really good job and I don't know if it was real or not but they really sold me on that like Mike Tyson wants to beat the shit out of <laughs> Stone Cold Steve Austin and like when he was throwing money at him and stuff and like all that st- I mean that stuff was like it kind of blurred the line for me between like. Uh, is this is this something that's really happening and is this or is this something that's like you know what I mean like it, and I think like good wrestling storylines have the ability to do that and then of course Montreal Screwjob I think that you couldn't you didn't know what was going on and then you kind of were like what what just happened and then then the explanation on the next night you had to watch Raw because you're like I gotta know what happened and yeah. then and then I think that that was really uh, like and it blurred the line between like is reality and and fantasy or whatever and then the number one for me uh, is nothing to do with that but it's that WCW so WWE Raw was taped and WCW was live <laughs> yes and so WCW let off their show. With with uh, hey, just so you know, tonight mankind's gonna win the WWF title they for the first going, time ever. Don't worry about tuning in. Yeah. To and Raw so then, tonight so then because... myself and many others turned the channel to Raw because I was like, Mick Foley's gonna win the title tonight. That's amazing. <laughs> I have to see it because like he was a longtime fan favorite that had never gotten kind of the credit he deserved. So I mean that, and I think that moment was like the death. But well, that was the beginning of the decline. WCW had peaked at that point and really started going in the tanks in terms of ratings after that point so um yeah that that's kind of one of my favorite i mean i just love mankind everything everyone does Mick Foley, he's a, he's a santa claus now he's a professional santa now how can yes. you not love him okay kevin give me one or two that you liked all right so i'm going to talk about two again kind of theme things like that because uh, that's kind of where this is one was kind of the rise of the extreme wrestling angle in the uh, attitude era uh, so everything from the Hell in a Cell matches to tables, ladders, and chairs, uh, these were kind of the best and worst parts of the Attitude Era. They're what eventually got to be too far out there and led to some massive health problems, but also just an oversaturation of it where everything yeah. suddenly had to be that kind of a match. We and we lost when they like first started, we they lost were so like the good. end of the career for like Edge and a bunch of guys because mm-hmm. of stuff like this. But when it was being done originally and it wasn't being pushed too far to the point where, like, there was one wrestling match where it was, what, like, 
like five stacks of tables mm-hmm. and they were wrestling yeah. on the top of them. And then the guy and the guy went through like all five tables at once. Yep. So stupid. And uh, that was where it just got to be too much. But when it first started, it was a cool, unique thing. It was kind of bringing some of that underground wrestling stuff up. And guys like Mick Foley uh, were big beneficiaries of that. The other thing is, I felt like they always ran stables better than WCW did. You had the Nation of Domination and the various people to go through that, including The Rock getting his start there. Um, Owen Hart bouncing through a bunch of different ones. You had the Job Squad and Al Snow suddenly becoming a personality. You had everyone versus the McMahons. Mm-hmm. And that, the way that, that they first made time ownership Vince, to be a versus angle was really cool. That first time Vince took a stunner on yep. TV was like so so epic, so iconic. And his feud with Triple H was amazing. And his, um, them playing the bad guys for Degeneration X so that DX could then be like the hip, cool group that was then, anti-establishment. Remember when, remember when DX invaded Nitro with the, with the tank? Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's that pretty awesome. Yeah, uh, those are some of the moments that I immediately think of when I think of wrestling. The other thing I think of is uh, man, the Nintendo 64 wrestling games were just awesome. Top notch. Yeah, oh yeah. Well, WrestleMania 2000 is my favorite. Yep. Okay, um, that's it. I think uh, I think that'll uh, wrap it up for us this week. So for Eric Ronnebeck, who's a uh, ghost dad, for, for Kevin, for myself, Nathan Santa, we will see you guys next week. Go Hawks. A host? Yeah, yeah, yeah.